Welcome to our Sunday Sermon Podcast with City Harvest AG Church. Wherever you are in life, we believe that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Here at City Harvest, we believe in the undiluted Word of God and the teachings here will enhance your understanding of the Scripture and will help you grow and mature as a Christian. So we hope and pray that you will be blessed by this sermon. Today's sermon is brought to us by Pastor Shine Thomas. Friends, I want to bring to you a message from Matthew chapter 12, a message entitled, God's Sign for Man's Unbelief. Are you battling with doubt or unbelief? Do you question God's love towards you in the crisis situations of your life? Well, this is the word of God for you. Let's open our Bible to Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 50. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That's how it will be with this wicked generation. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of God. We are living at a time where people are looking for scientific, empiric and cognitive proofs to believe in the concepts and theories of science and mathematics. And many times when people come to Jesus, we come with the same mindset. We want God to prove to us that he is truly God. Many times growing up, I have battled with my own faith. I wanted reason to believe that Jesus is God. And then I have gone through life experiences in my last many decades of my Christian life. And when I go through the pain situation and struggles of life, I've asked God, God, if you are truly God, why am I going through such situations? And friends, this is not a foreign thought for us. We all go through challenges and situations of crisis in our faith. Many of us 
want cognitive answers. We want to reason out in our mind that Jesus is the truth and the Bible is God's word to us. And yet many of us, when we go through life situations of pain or struggles, we want experiential evidence of God's love towards us. We ask God, if you truly love me, then I don't feel it now in this situation. And Jesus has an answer for us this morning through the gospel of Matthew. The context of this passage is the Pharisees coming to Jesus and asking for a sign to prove that he is the Messiah. And as we are studying this gospel according to Matthew, Matthew presents Jesus as the Messiah of Israel. He presents Jesus as the King of Israel. And in chapter 4, the king has inaugurated his kingdom. Jesus inaugurates the kingdom of God. And how does people enter the kingdom of God? By repenting and turning from their sins. A new direction towards God. You repent and you enter the kingdom of God by the grace of God. And then in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, we can find the king teaching the values of the kingdom of God, how a disciple of the Lord Jesus, how a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has to live and conduct himself or herself now that you are a child of God. Beautiful values. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, 6 and 7, it is an upside down value from the values of this world. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Pray for those people who are harming you. And do not commit adultery. Beautiful values by which we are to live in the kingdom of God. And then in chapter 9 and 10, the king is showing his power, his might over human condition. He is going and healing. Jesus is healing every kind of human sickness. He is even controlling the seas. The nature is obeying Jesus. And we can also find Jesus' power over the demonic realm. He is casting out demons out of people. And the king has showed his power to the people that here is the Messiah of Israel. Here is the God in flesh who has come to rescue his people and look at the work that Jesus does. Many people believe in Jesus. A lot of crowd is following Jesus. Then there are the disciples who are following Jesus. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, they're all around Jesus now because they have seen something great in Jesus. But by the time you come to Matthew chapter 11 and 12, Matthew records for us people slowly beginning to doubt Jesus. They are doubting Jesus whether he's truly the Messiah. They have seen the might of God in Jesus. They have heard his teachings. They were all of and they were filled with wonder when Jesus spoke to them but now slowly and steadily they are beginning to doubt Jesus and who doubts first in Matthew chapter 11 John the Baptist the forerunner the fiery preacher he is in a prison and he's doubting Jesus Christ dear friends many times we can start our Christian life with great enthusiasm we can, uh, we can talk about the miracles of God and how God has given us joy. And maybe you have seen the real hand of God when you came to faith. 
But as the time goes on, when life circumstances sets in and we go through the struggles of life, we begin to doubt whether Jesus is truly God. Is he powerful enough to rescue me from this situation? And here, the people in chapter 11 and 12 of Matthew are in such a situation. And now who is doubting Jesus? It is the Pharisees who are doubting Jesus. If you see the end of chapter 11, Jesus is offering rest for our souls, for all those who follow Jesus. But when chapter 12 begins, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus for not resting on the Sabbath. They are accusing Jesus and his disciples for desecrating the Sabbath. And now they come to Jesus in chapter 12 and this verse 38. And they're asking Jesus, Jesus, we need one more sign, one more proof to know that you are truly the Messiah. And many times we also get into such a mindset. We follow Jesus. We know the words of God. We know the scripture. We come to church. We fellowship with people. But when we go through such situations in life, we want real proofs. And we ask Jesus to prove. And we put Jesus in a kind of a witness stand. And we say, Jesus, if you're truly God, you are able to do this in my life. And many times... We even bargain with God. Jesus, I will follow you wholeheartedly provided you do this for me in my life. It's not a good place to be in. And Jesus is addressing such kind of mindset today uh, in this passage. Who comes to Jesus? Matthew chapter 12 and it's verse 38. We can find that then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. So these are the teachers of the law. They are the Pharisees. If you look at it from the periphery, you may feel that it is a very genuine question because they have studied the Old Testament scripture and now they are asking probably a genuine doubt that is Jesus truly the Messiah? But if you read the context of it and the response of Jesus, we can find that this is not a very genuine doubt from the Pharisees. Look at the response of Jesus. In verse 39, he's answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jesus is addressing them as wicked and adulterous generation. He's not giving them a direct answer. And then Jesus says that no sign will be given to you, but hold on, I will give you one more sign. And that is the sign of Jonah. We will look at the sign of Jonah very shortly. So what's happening over here? In this context, if you read the book of Matthew and uh, if you read the context of chapter 11 and 12, and especially in chapter 12, Jesus has given adequate proofs to his people and also the Pharisees who are around him to show that he is the true God and he is the Messiah. If you just look at chapter 12, the proof that Jesus has given, in chapter 12 and this verse 6, Jesus says to the Pharisees that he is greater than the temple. Jesus is greater than the temple. That everything was in the temple and he's telling, I am somebody who is greater than the temple because I myself am the temple of God. 
And then in chapter 12 verse 8, Jesus said, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. They were accusing Jesus of desecrating the Sabbath. And Jesus insists that it is not just the Sabbath rituals and traditions that are important. The spirit of Sabbath is important. Why Sabbath was instituted? You just go and read chapter 12. You will get what I'm speaking. And then Jesus comes with this profound statement of a proof that he is God by telling that he is the Lord of the Sabbath and he himself is a temple of God. And then in chapter 12 verse 9 to 13, Jesus does a healing of a man with a shriveled hand. According to Sabbath, they were not supposed to do activity. And Jesus did not break the Sabbath over here. He just said, he just commanded and this man was made whole and his hand was healed. Another miracle to show that he is God and he can work even on a Sabbath to heal his people. And then it comes to Matthew chapter 12 verse 22. Jesus healing a demon possessed man. He has got authority even over demonic forces. And not only a demon possession but he was blind and mute from birth. And here is an absolute healing and transformation in this life of a demon possessed and blind and a mute man. Enough proof has been given. And now the Pharisees are coming and asking for one more proof. But they were really not asking for proof. And Jesus calls them a wicked and adulterous generation. If you look at the context of this passage, we understand why Jesus did not want to give them the answer. In chapter 12, and this was 14 to 15, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now they are plotting in their minds to kill Jesus and Jesus withdrew from that place. So these guys are plotting how they can kill Jesus and then they come to Jesus so pious, so humble and with a pretext that they want one more sign from Jesus and Jesus says no more sign will be given to you. Jesus knows the mind of these people because he is God. And he's telling them that I am not going to give you sign because in your heart you are planning to murder the innocent son of man. You're planning to murder me. I've come to do good to you, but you are planning to murder me. No sign will be given to you. It is like you know that your best friend is trying to betray you and he has talked bad about you. He has harmed you in front of many other people and stopped many of your blessings and uh, then you meet this best friend in a wedding and in front of all the others this friend comes and tells you how are you doing I was just thinking about you I wish all the best and well for you you know that your best friend has betrayed you and now he's coming and pretending to be good to you and what will you do Jesus knows that these people are trying to murder him so he's telling them in Matthew chapter 12 verse 39, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of prophet Jonah. He calls them wicked and adulterous. Why these two strong words? Jesus is using some strong words of rebuke against these Pharisees. Wicked because their hearts are evil. They are planning to murder this innocent son of man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And now they come and they tell Jesus, we want 
one more sign from you. So he calls them wicked because their hearts were wicked. Secondly, he calls them adulterous. Why adulterous? They did not commit any adultery. That we must understand that Jesus grew up studying and understanding the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we can find that in Exodus, when God took Moses to Mount Sinai and the children of Israel around the Mount Sinai, God asked them, will you obey my commandments and will you follow my precepts? And these people said, yes. God made a covenant with the people of Israel that if you follow my commands and my covenant, you will be blessed in the land. And God also said, if you do not follow my commands, the covenant curse will be effective and you will be driven out of the land just like the Canaanites were driven out before you. These people went and settled in the promised land. And in the promised land, once they saw prosperity and blessings, they disobeyed every commandment that God had given them. The people of Israel, the kings of Israel, and they all disobeyed God and they started bringing idol worship and copying foreign pagan ways of living. And they intermarried and they sinned against the Yahweh God who prospered them and brought them to the promised land. And then we can find God rising up prophets to these people. And what was the prophetic words? The prophets often used to tell to Israel, you are adulterous, you are an unfaithful wife. Why? Because you have been unfaithful to Yahweh God and you have left his precepts, left the covenant and the prophets called Israel as unfaithful or adulterous. Here in this passage, Jesus is standing as a prophet, the greatest prophet than any of the Old Testament prophets. And he's telling to these people, you wicked and adulterous generation. I have come as Israel's Messiah after 1,500 years of your expectation. I've come as Yahweh God in flesh to dwell with you people, to die for you people. But you have not understood the time of the Lord's coming to you. And you are now even rejecting me and asking for signs. And Jesus calls them wicked and adulterous generation. Dear friends, when we look at this passage and when we see how Matthew has portrayed the Pharisees from now on, we kind of distance ourselves from this context and we say that we are better than the Pharisees. And we put ourselves on a high horse and say that we are better. We are not putting Jesus to death. We are not murdering Jesus and we are better than the Pharisees. But we may not be murdering Jesus, but this kind of mindset we may have when we come to Jesus. Friends, I've come across a lot of people in my pastoral counseling. They are truly and genuinely struggling in their faith. Many people have cognitive struggles. Lord, I don't understand the word of God. I really don't understand whether this 2000 year old scripture is really relevant to us. People struggle after some time. And some people struggle experientially. They have heard a gospel that when you come to faith, everything will be taken care of, which is not what the Bible says. You come and all your problems will be solved. It is supernatural time and miracle time. 
Yes, God does supernatural things. God does miracles, but not always. Why? Because we are still living in the flesh. There is still evil in this world. Yes, we have the kingdom of God, but there is also an overlap of the evil age with us. So everything is not perfect. Jesus did not offer us a trouble-free life, but he offered us his presence. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Yes, a trouble-free, worry-free, death-free, sickness-free life is coming at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming back again to establish his kingdom, literal kingdom. But until his coming, from his first coming until second coming, we still battle with death. We still battle with sickness. We still battle with job loss and struggles. That does not mean that God will not do a miracle. God can do miracle and in our ministry we have seen cancers being healed and the sick being healed and doors being opened. But that is not normal. That is not an everyday life. And if you are hearing to tele-evangelists or preachers who say that you come to Christ and miracles are normal and supernatural is normal, dear friends, that is not the right gospel that Jesus preached. That is not the gospel that Paul preached in the Bible. This is a heretic teaching. We will have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is able to heal us and deliver us from all our troubles. But some troubles and trials God enables us to endure. Because it has a way to perfect us, to mature us, to make us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So we need God's grace to persevere through those trials. God allows it. And many times we question God. Lord, why am I going through this trial? Are you going through difficulty? Are you going through pain right now? And you feel that you don't experience the love of God? God is giving a sign of his love for you in this message today. Going forward from this passage, Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah. It's a beautiful sign, sign which is eternal to show the world that God truly loves us and he is with us. The secondly, he brings a warning for people who are in the periphery of their faith. If you are like the Pharisees or if you don't want to commit yourself to God completely, little percent of God, little of the world. I just don't want to commit myself to a church. I don't believe in all this. Jesus is coming up with a warning talking about impure spirits. And then Jesus is talking about who is his real family. Who are his brothers and who is his mother? Very interesting. Three responses of Jesus for such mentality of doubt and disbelief in Jesus Christ. The first one is a sign of Jonah. Jesus told them that no sign will be given to you other than the sign of the prophet Jonah. So who is Jonah? Jonah is one of the most bitter, stubborn prophets in the Bible. He resists almost every attempt that God makes to humble him and get him to do what God is asking him to do. So is Jesus really comparing himself to Jonah? Not really. But to a certain aspect of Jonah's life, Jesus is comparing himself to. 
Jonah hated the non-Israelites. And when God asked him to go to Nineveh, they are the Assyrians. Jonah said, they are our enemies of Israel. So they come to fight against us. And I don't want to go and speak about God's judgment and then God's forgiveness. And he disobeyed God. He took a ship in the opposite direction and he went all the way to Tarshish. And we know the story. He was cast into the sea by the crew of the ship and the people of the ship. And when the great fish swallowed him, he repented in Jonah chapter 2. We can find Jonah's prayer and how he repents. Wonderful uh, way for us to pray when we know that we have gone away from God. And it's a beautiful prayer of repentance. And then what happens? The fish vomits him to dry ground and he goes to Nineveh and he preaches a one-sentence message. And the whole country of Nineveh repents. And God relents. He does not punish the Ninevites because they repent and they fast in the presence of God and God forgives Nineveh. And now Jonah is not happy. He's so mad that he demands that God put him to death because he's accusing God of being too loving and too good to Jonah's enemies. So here is a man who is not a good example, not a great prophet. And Jesus happens to compare himself to Jonah. Not fully, he's talking about the experience of Jonah going into the sea and being swallowed by a great fish and he's spending three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. In other way, he's talking about how Jonah was delivered from death after three days of being in the belly of the fish and out of that deliverance he goes and preaches to Nineveh and Nineveh repents. So what is Jesus comparing himself to? Jesus is telling that you people, you Pharisees are coming to me and asking for a sign. I'm not going to give you any sign, but the only sign is that like Jonah, you will betray me and I will allow you to betray me and put me to death and I will be delivered into death and through death and from death into life on the other side. Like Jonah was literally dead in the belly of the fish. And God delivered him out of that to continue his work. I will be given over to death by you Pharisees and you people of Israel. But my father will vindicate me. He himself will deliver me from death and give me life. And I will rise again on the third day. And that is the only proof for you people, you wicked and adulterous generation. Dear friends, God is faithful even when we are not faithful. These Pharisees were the teachers of the law and they were the first ones to receive Jesus as their Messiah. But they rejected him and they kept on rejecting him and they plotted against Jesus to assassinate him. And what did Jesus do? Jesus was faithful. Jesus allowed himself to be rejected by these Pharisees and the people of the land and he allowed himself to go to the cross. He was faithful even when his people were not faithful and God rose him on the third day. Dear friends, many times when we doubt against God, when we struggle in our faith, 
we are faithless we don't trust jesus the way we need to trust but my god jesus is faithful he is waiting for you he is not angry with you but he wants to help you look at the cross that is a sign that he loves you jesus came into this world and took on flesh took on humanity being complete god and complete man he died on the cross for no fault of his and when you look at that cross where jesus died and he was buried in the grave and rose again on the third day that is the sign of god's love for you are you looking for any other signs jesus said to the pharisees no more sign will be given and finally when jesus died on the cross it was a sign for them but they still did not believe in jesus christ dear friends if you're looking for proof whether jesus loves you whether jesus is really god the only sign that points to us is the cross of calvary where christ displayed his love for us he loves you you're going through a struggle you're going through a pain look at the hardships jesus went through for us he was rejected he was bruised he was beaten spat upon he was rejected by the people of israel by his own people yet he was faithful he suffered and he died and he rose again on the third day god loves you jesus loves you and he's calling you to believe in him no matter what situation you're going through what pain you're going through today his presence is enough and he is with you to deliver you out of all your troubles according to the will of god can i hear an amen church then jesus moves on and speaks about impure spirits okay many people think that this is a teaching on exorcism or casting out demons but this is really not a teaching on that this is a concept that jesus people knew very well in his generation and he's taking that concept and saying to us his readers on how dangerous it is to come to jesus and not commit fully to jesus or kind of like stand in the fence of faith in jesus and not fully commit yourself to loving jesus and to following jesus let's read that context matthew chapter 12 verse 43 to 45 when an impure spirit comes out of a person it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it then it says i will return to the house i left when it arrives it finds the house unoccupied swept clean and put in order now house is a usage for one's life and we must understand that when we are in sin in this world because of man's sin in the garden there is evil in this world and there is evil in us our house our body our life is not in order it is in disorder because of the evil and the sin of this world and when jesus comes to our lives he kinds of cleanses this evil and this wickedness and sin and he puts our house in order thank god in my life in 1987 i received the lord jesus as my lord my life was in a mess no peace we never knew god but when god came into my life he put my house in order my life in order and that is a context 
Jesus is talking in this passage. When somebody comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, their life is set in order. In other words, the evil is taken out and Jesus starts working in that person and the sin has been forgiven. And then it says, the evil, the evil that was resident, the demonic spirits or the evil that was resident in that person is taken out and the house is in order. But it says in verse 44, then the evil spirit says or the impure spirit says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. So what is Jesus teaching us over here? Jesus is teaching a parable. When we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he cleanses us and takes out the evil and the sin and the house is made in order. And once the house occupants of evil are taken out, we are supposed to fill this house with the word of God, with more of Christ and with more of fellowship with saints. And we need to have Christ residing in us. But when we are on the periphery, God has cleansed us. We have received salvation, but I have not taken my Christian life to the next level. I am not being a disciple of Jesus. I am not taking up my cross, denying myself and following Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from Jesus. Then the house is unoccupied. Jesus cannot come and reside with you. He cannot come and abide with you. So what happens? Those impure spirits will come back and see that the house has not been occupied, will go and call seven of other impure spirits and come and make the residence in that person. In other words, if you are sitting in the fence regarding your Christianity, regarding your faith in Christ, regarding following Jesus, it is going to be worse than how it was in the beginning. Why? Because if Jesus is not taking residence by the way of lordship, by the way of discipleship, then the evil will get back and it is going to be worse than the beginning. Amen. If you come to me and just be superficial, be in the fence, this is going to be more destructive. Jesus is critiquing the shallow reception of himself into people's lives. Dear friends, how is your commitment with Jesus? Are you standing or sitting in the periphery of faith? Are you truly committed to read the Bible and meditate on the word of God? To pray and fast and develop spiritual discipline so that you will grow in Christ-likeness? Or are you sitting in the fence? I know Jesus. I'm a member of a church. I know the pastor. So that is enough for my Christianity. No, that is not enough. You need to grow in Christian disciplines and grow in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is what Jesus is calling critiquing the shallow reception of himself. If there is no wholehearted commitment to actually follow the real Jesus, what you will end up doing is following a Jesus of your own making. 
for such people jesus guarantees that jesus will let you down if you are really not serious about following jesus if you are really not serious about discipleship and lordship jesus will let you down because you are forming a jesus who is a magician you are in the periphery and you want jesus to do miracles for you and you want jesus to open doors for you but you don't want to commit to jesus whenever there is a need you run to jesus whenever there is a need you call people for prayer you are treating god like a magician he will solve all my problems when i pray to him and then all of a sudden you hit this point where jesus is not behaving the way you expected and he's not doing what i thought and then people struggle in their faith amen so jesus is warning the pharisees and is also warning his disciples it is dangerous to reject me and it is dangerous even dangerous to sit in the fence because the final condition of such people is worse than the first so if you are following jesus make a wholehearted commitment to follow him to be like christ to grow in christian disciplines and that's our new year theme isn't it to grow make every opportunities to grow we have fasting prayers that are coming up we have carousels where we are studying the fruit of the spirit are you participating on all this online platforms and in house platforms to grow are you putting your children in sunday school and sending your young adults for the young adults meeting Dear friends the church has got all these programs for our growth don't stand in the periphery but make a commitment to grow in the lord and use the opportunities the church is giving you city harvest is giving you and i'm telling you that god will come and reside in you as you take this disciplines of growth and he will have his dwelling in you and they are the true disciples of the lord jesus christ Amen. So, Jesus is attacking superficial commitment over here. And earlier Jesus just told to the Pharisees that the only sign that will be given to you is a sign of the cross, my death and my burial. And now he's talking to his disciples who are listening to him. Superficial Christianity is a dangerous kind of Christianity. health and wealth christianity prosperity christianity you come to christ only for prosperity and your needs to be met is a dangerous christianity will god bless us absolutely will god do miracles absolutely but that's not why i am following jesus for i'm following jesus because he is my lord he died on the cross and he gave his life for me no matter what happens in my life i will stay committed to the lord and i will follow jesus till the end of my life amen such people are blessed people and finally jesus talks about who is jesus family matthew chapter 12 verse 46 to 50 while jesus was still talking to the crowd his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him apparently jesus is in a house now crowd has gathered around him he is teaching the crowd the pharisees conversation has transitioned to jesus teaching in a house to a crowd and his disciples and his mother and his brothers have come outside and they want Jesus to go out and meet them do you know that many people are like that they want Jesus to come to them in their terms now here is Jesus family they should have been the first ones who should be following Jesus and sitting in the crowd and who should be the disciples of Jesus 
and we find no mention about Jesus brothers other than Mary until his resurrection that they are following Jesus in the accounts of the gospel so they should be the ones who should be traveling and supporting Jesus and should be listening to Jesus because Jesus is their family and he's their foster brother but they are standing outside the house and they want Jesus to come to them in their terms many of us are like that right many of us have this mentality if i want to follow jesus jesus has to do this for me jesus has to prove that he is god by doing this for me otherwise i will not follow jesus if i want to go to church i need jesus to do this for me and this is the same mentality of the brother and the family of jesus while jesus was still talking to the crowd his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him someone told him your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you he replied to him who is my mother who are my brothers pointing to his disciples he said here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother it's not that jesus is not valuing his family definitely jesus valued his mother he loved his mother he loved his brothers but here jesus is teaching us who is the real family of jesus the real family of jesus are not the people who want a sign as a proof to know that he is god first of all from the pharisee story the real followers and the family of jesus is not the people who are in the fence like the man who was cleansed of the impure spirits and then the house was left unoccupied no they are not the real followers of jesus they do not have a superficial christianity but the real followers and the real family of jesus are the ones who sit at his feet come to him however they are and they learn from him sit at his feet follow jesus lay their burdens on jesus and take up their own cross and take up the yoke which is light jesus said in chapter 11 and follow jesus not this other three categories of people not the pharisees who want a sign not the superficial christians not those christians like his family who want jesus to come to their terms but the ones who humble themselves come to him and he will give such people rest look at what jesus said in matthew chapter 11 and his verse 28 onwards for the people who come to him who sit at the feet of jesus Jesus says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light when you follow jesus not asking for a sign not superficial christianity but sit at his feet he tells that i will take care of your life you will find rest somehow in those trials of life somehow in those pains and difficulties of life god will give you rest and he will give you his yoke which is light 
which is kind and which is not burdensome and God is with you always to the very end of the age. My dear friends, what is happening in this passage? We have three people that represents over here. The Pharisees, they have not believed in Jesus. They are rejecting Jesus and they are plotting to murder Jesus. And the sign for such people is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you like a Pharisee looking for proofs and signs? Jesus is calling you. Come follow me and I will give you rest. Are you like Jesus' family? You know Jesus and you want Jesus to work in your terms? Jesus is calling you. Come to Jesus unconditionally. He knows what you need. He knows when to bring that breakthrough. But come to him as you are with all your worries and lay it on Jesus and he knows what is best for you. Or are you following Jesus like a disciple who will sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him and rest in the presence of God? Dear friends, God has given us a sign that he loves us and that sign is the cross of Calvary. And when we partake from the Holy Communion every month, it is a sign of Jesus. It is a sign that he loves us. The Holy Communion, the elements are the sign of God's love for us. Our own salvation is a sign of God's love for us because salvation is based on the fact that Jesus took our sins on the cross. As he rose again, we have been given a new life. Our own salvation is a sign of God's love for us. Amen. And when you fellowship with the saints of God at church, it is a sign of God's coming and his death and resurrection for us. Why? Because we as the body of church are the body of Christ and Christ is our groom. These are all aspects of Jesus giving us a sign that he loves us, his death on the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah. How is your commitment to Jesus this morning? Where are you today? He is committed to love you and he's committed to be faithful to you even when you and I are unfaithful in the presence of God. So what is our response? We can either refuse to be like the Pharisees and reject Jesus or we can be in the fence like certain people and be in the periphery and not commit fully to Jesus or we can be like Jesus' family wanting Jesus to work in our terms and our timetable regarding the things of our life or we can be like the disciples of Jesus come and humble ourselves before Jesus. I just want to pray with you this morning. Amen. Can you commit yourself for serious discipleship? To grow in the Lord? To grow in Christian disciplines? Instead of asking doubts, look at that one sign of the cross and tell that I know that without doubt there is no other God like you. I believe in you, Lord. I'm moving from that questioning mindset. I'm moving from that peripheral mindset of circumference, Christianity. And I'm moving from that terms that I'm putting to follow Jesus to be just follow you by faith. 
Take you at your word. Sit at your feet and I will grow and he will be with you to the ends of the age. Dear friends, I want to pray with you. And before I pray, here are some life application points from today's message. You may note it down. Number one, Jesus remains faithful even though his people are sometimes faithless. We have a faithful God. Number two, life, death and resurrection of Jesus is a sign for us that Jesus is God. Point number three, our own actions of rejecting Jesus condemn oneself. In this passage, we can find that Jesus spoke about the Queen of Sheba and the people of Nineveh coming to condemn the generation because they had a faint knowledge of who God is. But they will condemn and our own actions, the Pharisees' own actions will condemn them. Our own actions of rejecting Jesus condemn oneself. Jesus is looking for wholehearted commitment. Allow him into your house and come into his presence. Superficial Christianity is dangerous. The final condition of such people is worse than the first. That is an intense warning. And finally, God is so committed to binding himself to broken people. You are not alone. When you are broken, when you go through difficulties, God is with you. 